You're listening to the GID podcast series produced by Alistair Grant and Elida Cowell. This podcast brings together students studying global innovation design at Imperial College London and the Royal College of Art. The second series of the GID podcast is being recorded for the Work in Progress show 2022. You can learn more about each of the students featured and their work by heading to whip2022.rca.ac.uk. Hello, welcome to the third episode of the GID podcast series. My name is Kevin Lee. I am joined here today with Ahad Mahmood and Lucy Charles. And today we're going to be discussing design engineering and speculative design, partners or opposites. I think we can start by discussing our backgrounds a little bit. I think it might be important to the conversation we're about to have. So I'll go first. I'm a software engineer, maybe an ex-software engineer. I worked in industry for a few years after graduating. And in that time, I also explored doing like graphic design, photography, a little bit of videography, a lot of different stuff. And then I came back to school. And my name is Ahad. Uh, thanks for having me here. So uh, my background is, is as a filmmaker. I've spent the last nine years or so living in New York where I was working as a director and director of photography. So my background is really about storytelling and narrative. Um, and I decided to shift gears a little bit and come back to school. Now I'm here. I'm Louisa. I'm super excited to be chatting with you two today. My background is in interaction design and I've spent the last few years doing immersive installations and working in film, either working on big films, doing building things or on small films, directing things. And I also have come back to school and I'm kind of shifting from a very art side of things towards more of the engineering side of things, but I feel like I've been kind of gently walking that line for a while and I'm probably good at neither of them. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think that's actually why this set of people we have right now is a really good set of people to talk about this, like kind of the engineering background that I have and, and like the narrative background that you mentioned, Ahad, and, and you both kind of worked in film, but I think in very different ways. Maybe we can get started by talking about what speculative design is, because I mean, even to myself, it's something that I you know, don't understand too well or thought was quite vague or, you know, digging into it was still finding out new things. It's interesting that it's very RCA centered too, right? Like Dunn and Raby, who I suppose came up with speculative design, they were here working together and teaching and had this idea for a kind of design that was about sort of provoking different visions of the future and maybe like a framework or maybe more like guidance on how to imagine the future, how to imagine the set of, you know, possible futures. They have this futures cone with the possible, plausible, probable, and preferential futures. But yeah, I would say speculative design is a form of design that's really concerned with like presenting alternative futures, examining them, and not just to like imagine fictionally what the future might be like, but really to understand our current world and to get people to think about how our current world might change, how it might be different, and what kind of changes we'd want. Like kind of the idea being that the future is going to be different from this moment now anyway. And we want to understand how. Like we want to understand if the future is going to be different anyway, what what control will we have over it? What kind of futures are possible and um, which ones would we prefer? In the book that Dunn and Raby wrote, Speculate Everything, they talk a little bit about like borrowing ideas from like futurology, which is a field that I don't know, didn't, I didn't know existed either really. And also like speculative fictions. We've chatted briefly about speculative fiction in the past. Narrative, like just straight up like filmmaking and stuff like that. But bringing kind of a design lens to it and, and breaking it down in that way and, and presenting different 
versions of what could happen. Yeah, I mean, I, I would want to push back on one or two things there. Yeah. The, I guess like the way I see speculative design is that I almost break it into like two facets, speculative and design. Right? The first thing speculative is the space between the reality and the impossible. So it's like it exists on this continuum of possibility and speculation is about exploring these different possibilities. It's not just about like, oh, great, like what's the future like? What could it be like? It's what could it be like? It's not like, you know, any random future. It has to be grounded in some kind of possibility. And the second thing is um, design, which is just like the act of making that real, making it tangible, even if it's not material, just bringing form and giving shape to that possibility. I do want to say that I don't necessarily believe it's just the future. Like, I think speculative design lends itself to being future forward and future thinking, but it can also, like, give us different ways of looking at our current reality. It can present alternative realities to what we have now. For example, like, one of my favorite projects that I've seen was a piece done that reimagined Manhattan where it was most of the streets were given over to pedestrians and bikes and public transport and said like, what does Manhattan look like without cars? And it's like, Oh, that's really possible. It wasn't like, Oh, this is what it would look like in cars in 40 years. It's like, what would this look like if we didn't have cars today? And if we made different public policy decisions right now. Um, and in that way, it speculative design kind of lets you make the current reality a little bit more malleable. It lets what a vision of what could be, inform how you can act now yeah and i think one thing that you mentioned that's really important there is like the the public policy part like the part when you're talking about how it's about sort of fathoming how the world might exist in different ways like the public policy is like that design part of it right like it's it's the speculation is like thinking about it and the design part is like how would we get there i suppose i think it's also really important when you're talking about looking at speculative design in terms of how does it challenge our own current worldview is that there isn't actually a singular reality that we all exist within and there is an accepted reality but that accepted reality tends to come from the people that have the power to describe their reality and when you're talking about marginalized people and stuff if you're asking someone what is it like to live in London you're going to get very very different answers from different people so sometimes speculative design can be a way of envisioning kind of taking things a little bit further and taking things to a point of over explaining something because a lot of systematic injustice is like really hidden and sometimes you have to make it incredibly overt and over the top before people who can make change people who have power over policy to do anything about it and sometimes with these kinds of issues, if you're imagining through different lenses, through speculative design, then you can look at what it feels like to exist in this current point of time rather than necessarily only the direct reality. And you can tap into, you think that this is what reality is like and you wouldn't be affected by these things because you don't have the other systematic injustices that feed into it. But as someone who experiences other systematic injustices, you might view something as very small but the emotional side of it is large enough that it needs to be over-explained in order to yeah. be understood. I love that the calling out like the emotional side of something being like not just present, but even sometimes more important than the logical part of it, right? Like, and I'm so glad that you brought up like marginalized peoples. Like, it, it just made me think about. I think I was in San Francisco, but I also saw it in Manhattan. There was like a the future is black 
kind of <laughs> yeah there's there's a there, i walked past a plaque that was like the future is black um or i think it might have also said like black people exist in the future but i remember there was something that stuck out to me that was like it felt kind of ridiculous but it also made a lot of sense in our current moment like it was like why is this here like the plaque was like this is why why do we say this it seems like a ridiculous thing to say that black people exist in the future but by saying it we are kind of manifesting it we're willing it into reality reminding people that like this is the future that's going to exist and we're also creating it and i think it ties into something that you mentioned where it's like people who have the power to define the realities they're in dun and raby in the intro of speculate everything they talk a little bit about how in the past, we might have designed for a reality that we shared, but now each individual person has like their own like TV feed, like, you know, like social media. We are all tied in with each other socially through technology or whatever. We all live in different realities now, and it's a different kind of design problem. I think the context they brought it up in was actually like one of the things that they found powerful about speculative design when they were conceiving it was like the optimism that like mid-century modernism had it was like we can imagine a future we can build it we will build it and this is how um you know concrete housing blocks egalitarian housing design architecture like all of this like really crazy and ideological yeah like architecture that popped up mid-century and 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 the ideation behind it and going to the moon and all that and bringing that kind of it's almost like a blind faith that we can change the future back into the 21st century um, is a really important part of the speculation. Yeah, because I mean, like, I think like fundamentally, like a couple of things you touched on there is that like we have humanities in general, like really shitty at imagining the future. Like, we just don't do it very well. And it's like, you know, epitomized like in the like Henry Ford thing of like, if I ask people what they wanted, they'd say a faster horse. And it's not to say that like, don't consult people and like, you shouldn't have uh, human-centered design. It's to also say that like, yeah, people like generally a technology is easier to optimize and start from scratch, right? So like part of the speculative design, part of the speculation is to give some, something for us to optimize. It's like, okay, great. We're not everyone... Like everyone's capable of doing it, but we're not trained. We're not in a society where we're pushed to think of the future and of alternative futures all the time. We're trained to think to optimize, and so it's the role of speculative design, or like to have these like critical objects, like be like, oh, cool, this is something we can work towards or work against. Like some of it's like very dystopic, um, and is bad. Yeah. Um, Before we get any further, I wanted to also touch back on what design engineering is. You actually said something that tied into it a little bit. It was like about defining the future. And we've been talking about like defining the future a lot. And it just like weirdly reminded me of like in uh, SolidWorks when you have like a part and you have to dimension the part and you can like over define the part, which is like an error, right? You're like, this part is five millimeters long, but also that part that's attached to it is 10 mil. And it's like, no, you've over defined it. But yeah, I don't know. It, it's like, it's kind of not an error. It's kind of a good thing to, to, um, to be certain of what you're talking about when you're when you're trying to explain something to someone, um, but yeah. So design engineering, I suppose, it's funny because it's not a term that existed until I came here. And then in the school that I went to is called Dyson School of Design Engineering, which was really kind of a shock to me. I was like, "This is not a real term." <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess let's unpack it a little bit. Like for me, the engineering part's really kind of what I see everything through um, because of because I studied computer science um, and worked as a software engineer and 
kind of the engineering is like really concerned with the minutiae, I feel like. It's concerned about like, does it work properly? How will it work properly? Which pieces of it need to work properly? What's the right way to design? Uh, yeah, what's the right way to design this so that in the future, it, you know, whoever's going to take my job later, can they maintain it? Is it going to be a pain to maintain? Like, how can it be elegant internally? How can it achieve its goal by spending the least resources or whatever? It's it's really concerned with, like... Is it engineering or the design? That's engineering for me, <laughs> okay. yeah. I do personally consider speculative design and design engineering to be opposites, but but they that doesn't mean that they aren't partners. But I would define speculative design as designing with a purpose in mind without being constrained by what is feasibly possible right now and I would define design engineering as almost the exact opposite in terms of trying to tackle a problem using only what is completely feasible to achieve right now and seeing that through to an entire process if the end of a speculative design project might be a question a narrative or a piece of work that demonstrates something and makes you think or is a plan for something to be built once we achieve the technology required to build it, the end of a design engineering process is something that literally just works. And you haven't been successful if you don't get to the end of it and have something that does the thing that it said it was going to do when you were designing it. I definitely agree with the having something that works part. And I love that you brought up like constraints. And there was another word, feasibility, that I think are really parts of the engineering part. I actually, I, I want to push back a little bit on the idea that like, you're not thinking about what's impossible. Um, it was crazy, like my experience working at Facebook, because we would build things for people we didn't know existed yet, which... When you're, it's like the company hadn't hit hit like uh, two billion people yet, but we knew that we were going to hit two billion, and it, it's definitely about like like I think this like futures cone is really applicable here, like plausible and probable futures. Like it definitely operates within that probable future zone. But um, some of the most exciting engineering I ever did was like building things for people who didn't yet know that they needed them. I suppose. Um, Facebook was growing crazy fast as a company when I was there too. And they would hire people that like, you know, I was on a team of 16 people and then the next year it was 60 people. And the next year it's like 200 or something. And I was building tools for coworkers who I knew would come, but didn't know, well, you know, I knew like, you know, 90% certain, certain. So yeah, it's definitely a comfortable future, I think. But I think a lot of exciting engineering comes from, uh, being stepping like taking one step taking two steps maybe out of out of what's feasible exactly right now but i would kind of consider that to be like i would say design engineering in its purest form does not require any element of speculation that's where i would say that speculative design and design engineering make great partners because to me what i'm hearing you describing is how the engineering projects you worked on were improved by speculation so I wouldn't say, I would say that would be design engineering with a sprinkling of speculative design improving that project. And I think most speculative design projects really benefit by some engineering skills, grounding your research and making sure that what you are designing, yes, it's great when it makes a point. And I do really believe in projects that just make a point and are speculative fictions, but I prefer the ones that are grounded in a source of reality and 
in some maths, in some science, in some engineering, so that you can more tangibly understand how it might genuinely affect the future. And the same for design engineering projects. I think the best design engineering projects are the ones that utilize speculation to push their ideas further and not be 100% limited by what you can create now, but be willing to fail and be willing to speculate and attempt things that then might not make it into the final outcome, but is pushing that idea further and is pushing you towards that future. I want to bring up like the Moore's law really quickly to be like, I, I suppose, like, I, I think that this middle path thing I really resonate with, like kind of sprinkling up a little bit of each. And I definitely agree that I resonate the most with speculative design projects, which feel like they've really done their homework on like, this is how this would work. The credibility and the like thing gives it weight. Um, yeah, because it's like def defined by it being possible. Yeah. Otherwise, it's become sci-fi. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just like floating in space as a fantasy somebody had. Um, yeah, the Moore's Law thing, I just wanted to quickly say that like, I suppose in computer engineering for many years now, we've like anticipated a future that we weren't certain was going to come. But I think it's it's like just infused all of it with a lot of future thinking in a way that like, you know, Maybe civil engineering doesn't have a whole lot of speculative design. Maybe people will hear this and be like, no. like, No, I mean, like, architecture is, like, very heavy into speculative design. Like, right, right. Um, and in that way, civil engineering, too. Yeah, so maybe it's it's in a lot of places that, um, you know, I hadn't appreciated before that I'm learning to see by learning more about speculative design. I think it's super, super interesting that you say you hadn't necessarily heard the term speculative design or design engineering when you first got here. And I also really enjoyed the pushback on the idea of design engineering. I remember Kevin, when he first got to the UK being like, this isn't a real term, this doesn't exist. And then like finding a bunch of job offers that were like <laughs> aimed at design engineers and finally having to admit that it existed. But I've had the complete opposite experience in that like I did my design education in the UK. Speculative design was a very like um, well-established and well-respected practice. And then as part of GID and also as part of other exchange programs that I've been on going around the world and finding like, oh, everyone here thinks that speculative design is a bad thing and speculative is used as almost an insult when people are presenting their work and you're like, well, that's just speculative. That doesn't really mean anything. And I hear this coming up a lot. Um, I don't know if you guys have any yeah, thoughts they, on that. People use it as like a coded word for bullshit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's like, okay, well, yeah, like... Just because it doesn't exist, like, and it's not in my hands right now, doesn't mean it's not real. And it's like, the idea is like, oh, we're creating real, like, the idea is to create a real vision, create a, like, image of possibility. Um, and it's from these, like, range of possibilities that we can actually start working towards something that does work its way into our hands and into the built environment. And I guess it also comes down to, like, the one thing that these two terms share is the word design. And it depends which definition you're going with. I prefer the definition of um, moving from a current future to a preferred future, but the definition of design often comes up with this word problem. And I suppose one of the things is that even in the most speculative projects, if they're to be successful at all, it is a real problem that you are tackling, whether or not the solution you are suggesting is going to be an actual real tangible solution. That's fair. I like that. Um, yeah, because like, yeah, people don't tend to not think of speculation as like actually having any real world thing that it's supposed to address which often it does it's like trying to like call attention to a very acute real world problem 
But just take a quick step backwards for a second. You know, what if we just take it like a speculative design engineering? Like, what are those three words? Like, what do they, like, how do they interlink as one thing as well? Um, because, like, if you're saying design is the moving from prefer from a current state to a preferable state, right? Engineering is how we get there or the execution. Yeah. <clears throat> and then speculation is how we would get there if anything was possible. Which way we should go. That's what I would say. Yeah. Or which way we should go. Or which way we shouldn't go as well. Because I think I think it was really interesting when you brought up speculative design in its original context, which was like, isn't this so amazing? Can't we imagine these incredible futures? But most of what I see right now, and it's definitely reflected of the time that we live in right now, is isn't this going to be absolutely terrible if we don't do anything about these things that are happening? So I would reject the word should in that thing. It's just ways we could go. Yeah. Okay. They could be bad. They could be good. Yeah. Like, it depends on, like, whoever's making the piece and, like, you know, the purpose of the design. So is design engineering the way we can go or ways we can go? And then speculative design is the ways we could go? I think speculative is ways we could go. Design is, like, the concept and the form it takes. And engineering is, like, how that actually works, the mechanics of that form. Which is why I'm like, yeah, like they, like they kind of exist as opposites, but also like in tandem. It's, I reject the idea that opposites can't be partners. We talked about this. Just to throw something in there too, like I think, I in the past I might have thought of these as different roles for different people, and I think that you know it definitely happens that way. Um, but I think it's even more interesting to think about people who do all of them, and maybe that's why I'm in this program, <laughs> right? But. Um, they're such different they're i guess yeah i guess they're such different they're opposites or whatever but they're also partners like they 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 communicate with each other they inform each other and um it it almost means to me that like if you wanted to see something all the way through you'd have to do all of them yeah a good project has each element and has each element like well thought out well researched well executed do we have any examples of them i mean do you have any that come to mind um I have a few. I think one of the things I'm thinking about, so I've been doing a lot of work in art and authorship and artificial intelligence and partially just looking at like, can you, uh, in like computational creativity, can you ever consider an AI to be creative in its own right? But also extending this to further questions in terms of who owns passive data that you shed when you're interacting with the internet, who is allowed to profit off of AIs that were trained on public data and things like this. And I think one of the things I found really interesting is that when I'm talking to fine art friends, they are so angered by the idea that I'm using machine learning algorithms to create imagery and calling it art. Like they do not believe there can be any artistic intent in there whatsoever. And even when I've tried to use these very um, clever ways, so there's a term called accountability when you're working in computational creativity. And it's basically, how do you make sure that your algorithm is not just generating things based off a random number generator, but you as the designer or as the engineer of the algorithm are not impacting the final form of whatever you are creating. So you need to give it something to hold on to. So one of the first pieces of AI generated art was The Painting Fool. And he used articles from The Guardian and the AI would have to analyze The Guardian every single morning and run a sentiment analysis on it. And if it was looking at things that were sad, the painting fool became sad and would paint in a sad style. 
So it's that sort of thing of like finding another thing to hold it accountable. So for my side of accountability, I was basically trying to frame if I as the designer position myself as the muse and as the curator of the work at the end, can the AI itself be the artist? So as the muse, the accountability was that I would feed all of the names and descriptions of projects I've worked on before to the algorithm and it would generate new names and new project descriptions that sound like things that I've worked on but haven't. So in that way, I have no impact on what comes out of the end. I did in the past, but I didn't know I was going to do this project in the future. I can't change the names of my projects. I can't change the ways that I have always standardly described them. So when I talk to artist friends, they hate this. They absolutely hate it. And they're like, there is no way that you can claim that images and 3D models and videos generated by AI are art in any kind of way because the AI had zero intent going into it. And I also had no intent. So therefore... These images are not art whatsoever. You just blindly stumbled into this yeah. exhibition. <laughs> and then simultaneously, when you talk to engineering friends and they're like, well, you didn't create this algorithm 100% from scratch. You didn't engineer anything here whatsoever. So like, I quite like walking the line right in the middle. And part of me thinks that if I'm simultaneously pissing off artists and engineers, then maybe I am doing something that can genuinely be considered design engineering as long as I piss everyone off equally on every side. Equal opportunity piss off. Exactly. <laughs> I feel like that curatorial thing is like a very 21st century thing, right? Like kind of facilitating this thing that happens. And um, I also kind of feel like the way that I approach art is that like it could just be anything really like uh, which is kind of born out of like ready-mades you know and like um Duchamp yeah and like that kind of move and, and pop art and stuff like that um but it's interesting because it's kind of flipping on its head too like I feel like a ready-made is sometimes about the artist interpreting something but then when you're in this facilitation I don't know if that's what you would call it yeah like this mode it's kind of like you're allowing something to happen rather than you're like, you know, going and finding a toilet and deciding to declare it art or something. Um, yeah. Uh, there's something I've been like holding this in. I just want to bring it up. <laughs> I keep, we keep skirting on like, there's just this wonderful quote at the end of uh, the introduction um, to speculative everything, which is like, now a younger generation doesn't dream it hopes it hopes that we'll survive um that there'll be water for all that we'll be able to find the feed everyone that will not destroy ourselves um there's this yeah I, I there's this other thing that's also like um it's become easier to imagine the end of the world than it is to imagine the end of capitalism so bring it all back like um the reason I was thinking about this is like we're thinking about like speculative design projects that we've found powerful. And to me, like um, thinking about an end to capitalism is like a kind of like a speculative design thing that I've really kind of resonated with it recently. Like I've seen lots of projects that are like kind of trying to tackle like the ubiquity of um, capitalism. Strangely enough, there was like... Um, I was maybe going to attend a program at Parsons. So I attended their uh, thesis show and there was a project where I was just like um, a render and then somebody was talking over and they're talking about like rentism and alternatives to like existing inside a consumer-based capital system. Um, but it really like kind of stuck with me that there were people who were trying to tackle this problem. Um, and the other thing that I'll throw in is that uh, I joined a Facebook group 
that's called solar punk um and i didn't know this was a movement but it's like kind of a utopic vision of the future where we uh coexist with nature or we're like doing nature engineering not, not like terraforming or like um reversing the chicago rivers flow or whatever but more like um uh yeah just coexisting with nature and 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 uh like a utopic vision i, I it's it's strange that like I kind of feel like we're tired of utopic visions. Like we're, we're so obsessed with dystopia, you know, and it's kind of refreshing to see people really kind of get behind something that's not just like, it's going to be terrible in the future. I mean, are we tired of utopic visions or are we just like in a shitty mood right now? And like, <laughs> you know, we're like, uh, it's much easier to think of a dystopic one because like, that's kind of like the way we think we see things going right now. You've made me think of another project which I might have seen on OpenAI's website, which is such a shame because, like, that company. But um, looking at bringing together design engineering and um, speculative design in terms of trying to imagine an end to capitalism, I saw a really wonderful multi-agent reinforcement learning project, which is basically when you train um, a series of different agents within an AI system to have the same goal and eventually they start working together towards that goal. That's a very, very simplified version of it. Um, and they were using different models, so political ideological models, political models that actually currently exist right now based on the US, and then using a multi-agent reinforcement model to look at creating a society that balances equity with um, productivity. So the idea of trying to create a society that can be both profitable and productive, not necessarily profitable if we're thinking post-capitalism, but a productive society that can build and grow and uh, do whatever it needs to do and also be equitable and fair to all of the people within that model. And within this, the multi-agent reinforcement learning model, uh, once it was run, obviously, loads and loads of times, it created a more equitable and more productive society than any of the ideological political models that we've ever managed to come up with. So I think that was a really, really beautiful example of using hard engineering skills for what we can do right now, plus speculation on top of it, to then run a model that could potentially be something that we could move towards as a future that is fairer for everyone without having the drawbacks that we currently have in societies that we try and make things fairer for everyone. Yeah. One thing that comes up a lot with this kind of stuff is like, if it's kind of like you're giving the AI the reins to decide like how our society might be, you know, like that might not actually be what we do, but like imagining that um, is like, I used to see like decolonizing compu computation as such a strange, like we're applying this like humanities word to this, like, you know, I learned about how CPUs work in school. <laughs> um, but the more you dig into it, like, and, and cybernetics is a word that's kind of fallen out of favor, but the way that UI was designed by the U.S. military, the military industrial complex, like a lot of these systems of engineering and software were first put in um, for kind of colonial schools, right? Like the U.S. was in the middle of a very kind of imperialist phase and when all of this was happening, like the missile defense system and going to the moon and, um, acknowledging that history, acknowledging that like those were mostly white men who were making those things. I mean, before we realized it was a valuable profession, 
women were allowed to do it. <laughs> that's essentially weird. what happened. Um, and that's why, I mean, Ada Lovelace um, and uh, Grace Hopper, and there's a lot of notable female computer scientists. But um, yeah, it just reminded me of uh, how important it is to like um, think about where things come from. Yeah. It's really important to remember that any design outcome that serves a function contains the biases of the person who designed it. Whether that's a physical object, whether that's a software, whatever it is that you're designing, if it is serving a purpose in society, it will contain biases. And I think it's kind of beautiful in a way that like objects can embody the ethos of the p person who made it. or, or They embody the ethos of the person who made it and they also embody the... Like they embody the ethos both in like their bias, their judgment, their whatever, um, but also like their vision, and that's where the whole thing kind of like wraps and folds into itself of like speculation, um, because they also like they have these biases that may be bad, often is bad, but they also hold opportunities, and it's like creating that embodiment is like where the design comes in, and it's like where it like gives us something yeah. to hold on to. And to add design engineering back into it as well, it will also embody the context in which it was designed and created and embody the tools that are available to create it as well as the politics of the time that are going into it. We all happen to be camera people. And I think a camera is a really good example of this, like the different ways you can hold the camera. But it's also like in its own con like you can't develop film if people aren't going to run film developing labs or whatever. And and it's a tool for seeing the world and, and the way that you hold it and feel it and where you're going to take it and where you can take it and how you can do that is going to really control what you see. And the person who designed it is making a lot of those decisions kind of they're 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 with you when you're deciding to pick up your camera and go take a picture of something or and also the camera you choose to use like you know having an iphone or like a whatever in your pocket and taking a picture like that it's a very different experience and like shapes your world view very differently than like you know a large film large format medium format camera that you gotta lug around stop put down check like use your light meter check the light go back check the light again check the focus like it means like your experience of like what you're looking at completely changes. Yeah. It changes the way you see the world. Um, we're close to our allotted time. Um, I actually think that was a really nice thing to wrap it up on. But uh, I don't know if you guys have like any burning things you want to say or uh, maybe like a most important thing you want to come away with or just last thoughts. I don't know. We did a lot less arguing than I thought. Like I was like, yeah, we should wrap it up really nicely. But I feel like we're all in general agreement that design engineering and speculative design go really well hand in hand and make better projects. You want to give a one-liner why, why are they good partners despite them being opposites? I think that design engineering can ground speculation and I think speculation can open opportunity to design engineering. Well said. I kind of feel like this incredible thing has happened when I've let design back into my life kind of like, and, and done it more than just graphic design. And it's like, we live kind of such small lives. It's a really big world. And being able to like engage with speculative design and like have kind of its tooling and have the ammo too to be like, I'm not just spitballing. There's a whole thing called this. Like it's really given me a lot of like, a, a sense of power over over my future and, and 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 kind of a purpose of like why do I even care about the future and why 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 am I talking about it all the time um 
yeah I, I think it's given me like a nice like a very strong feeling of autonomy um whereas like you know focusing on the minutia with engineering um kind of got me kind of blinders on like not seeing the whole thing and um i love that i just love that that's in my life i don't know if that's no i feel the same way i mean i think like to go back to like a couple times i used earlier it's like the idea of like having a more speculative outlook and using design as a way to get there um change things from like an optimization problem to a problem of possibilities it's like it just like flipped that dynamic for me yeah yeah beautifully said all right well thank you guys for being here it's always lovely to chat and i'm glad that we got to do it on the podcast this time um and uh we'll see you guys next time thanks for listening to jd podcast this is elida and this is alistair we hope you enjoyed if you did please feel free to share this with your mom your dad your best friend even your ex see you next time